Hey, how's everybody doing? It is great to see you. It has been far too long since we've been together. It is. Thank you. Thank you. I missed being here as well. I've been around, but just not here exactly like here exactly. So, but I'm happy to be here. Oh, by the way, I have to tell you this. Uh, a couple weeks back, we went to the city. The city of Miramar approved our site plan, approved the exterior of our building. Yeah. So now we uh, now we're going to spend some time working with their staff in uh, getting the interior approved. You know, the mechanical, electrical, and plumbing, all of that. And then, uh, so what it looks like, what it looks like is. Uh, late July of next year, we will be in our building. Yeah. So yeah. Awesome news. So, so, you know, we'll be here for another year. We're grateful to the partnership that we have with Everglades high school and they've been, they've been great and we've, it's been a great partnership and we look forward to continuing to partner with them in the future, even after we, um, you know, build our building and all that and still be able to minister to students and whatnot. But, uh, but see now you walk in, you know, you drive up and you're like, Oh man, what's up with this parking lot? It's flooded doesn't bother me. I got senioritis. You know, it's like, I know one more. I'm counting it down. 52 weeks, 51, pretty soon. Uh, pretty, you, listen, a year's going to be gone before we know it. And we're going to be having uh, our grand opening Sunday at our new place. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. So, all right. Now, uh, we're getting started. So let me, if I can, I, I want to do a little exercise this morning as we, as we get going. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to say one line to a song, and I'm going to see if you can say the next line of it. All right? That's kind of what we're going to do. Uh, I'll be honest. The first service, love those people dearly, but it took them a little while to warm up. So I'm going to see how we do. All right. So we'll start with an easy one. Uh, for, I'll sing the first line. You sing the second line. Buy me some peanuts and Cracker Jacks. All right. Somebody's enthusiastic. Um, <laughs> So, all right. So see, that's easy, but you kind of get the idea. So let's see if I can move it. We'll move it a little closer. Uh, This is an early 80s track. Um, Every breath you take. Keep going. Okay. Every breath you take, every move you make, every bond you break, every step you take, I'll be watching you. It's the Stalker's theme song. Anyway, um... So, uh, all right, well, let's move on to another song. Uh, this one you, you might know. That's the way, uh-huh, uh-huh. Wow, that was very enthusiastic. Um, that was, all right, since uh, the 70s, let's go back. We'll stay in the 70s for a little bit. Sing us a song, you're the... All right, then, then we all, then it fell apart after that. All in the mood for a melody, but that was it. Um, all right, we'll kind of move it into this, I guess, is the early 90s. Some of you will get this. Maybe some of you won't. There was like four people in the first service that got this song. We'll see how we do. Um, um, let's see. Uh, oh, we, you, I look just like Buddy Holly. Wow, that was bad. Oh, we, you, and your Mary Tyler Moore. I don't care what they say about us anyway. I don't care about that. All right. That's Weezer. First album, one of the 10 best albums ever made. That's a whole sermon in and of itself, which we're going to leave alone. Um, uh, so anyway, I don't think you're ready for it. Uh, same, same thing. Anyway, Destiny had a child. And um, see, I think we're ready for this jelly. I've been ready for this jelly for years. And they never told us what it was. Anyway, I'm going to move on. Uh, so, all right, uh, we'll do this one. Uh, this is back in the 80s, I think. Oh, Mickey, you're so fine. Wow, that's real strong. Real strong. Oh, Mickey, what a pity you don't understand. He doesn't understand at all. All right. Uh, now, <laughs> here's the thing. Uh, it's amazing, right, how we can memorize songs. Uh, because it doesn't even matter if you like the song or not. Once that, those lyrics get stuck in your brain, they're never coming out. Have you noticed that? I was, I was uh, in Publix with my daughter recently, and uh, with Mia, and we were walking, and I was singing the song that was playing. And she's like, oh, Poppy, do you like this song? And I'm like, no, I actually hate this song. 
She's like, then why are you singing it? I'm like, because I know all the words, because I've heard it about 8 million times. And so you just kind of start singing the words after a while. Because I don't know if, if this happens to you, but you know how there are some songs you don't even like, but you'd like singing them because they just remind you of a certain time. You ever have that? I have that sometimes. Uh, and, and sometimes the song just reminds you of a particular moment. And, and that's why you like it. You know, like uh, to this day, to this day, um, I will completely fall apart when I hear um, the song, Your Song by Elton John. And say, you know, are you familiar with that? I, mean, I know it's an old song from the early 70s. You know, I hope you don't mind. I hope you don't mind that I put it down in words. Anyway, when my daughter was born, uh, Mia, when she was, uh, when her, you know, Carrie was in recovery, um, uh, it was just her and I uh, sitting there. And I was just singing that to her. How wonderful life is while you're in the world. And so I would sing that to her. And so anyway, every time I hear that song, uh, I just remember that moment and I completely fall apart. Uh, and, and I, I, and it doesn't matter. Like I've been in like target or whatever and heard that in a, in a, in a supermarket and heard that. So if you find me weeping in the dairy aisle, you know, it's not, had nothing to do with if they're out of Gouda It's like, you know, it's a song, you know? And, uh, now there's another song that really moves me and it's like a song that you wouldn't typically move someone, but, uh, it's a song, uh, it's, just, it's such a, it's funny to say, but uh, it's, this song really, like, I, I literally, I tear up when I hear this song, but uh, it's the song Rock Show by Blink-182, uh, which, you know, I don't know if you're a fan or not, but uh, when I first met my wife, I met, we met at this party, we talked for about an hour or so, and then I left, and I didn't get her phone number or anything, and then I thought, and I remember saying to my friend Craig that I was with, and I'm like, man, that girl, Carrie, was super cool, I, I want to get to know her. And, and then I left and I thought, man, I don't know. I, I don't know how I'm ever going to see her again because I, I don't I don't know anything about her. I don't know her last name. I just knew her name was Carrie. That was it. Um, and so anyway, my friend Craig calls me that Friday after and he says, hey, I'm going to go to this concert. Uh, and, and would you want to come with me? And I said, no, I'm not really interested. And then I hung up the phone and I thought, hey, you know what? That girl, Carrie's probably going to be at that concert. I called him back and I said, hey, I'm, I'll go. Sure enough. I went to the to the to that concert and uh, she was there, and uh, we spent we spent the whole time of the concert just standing next to each other talking, and uh, and I got her phone number that night, and uh, that's kind of what began our whole relationship. So in that song, uh, there's there's this line at the end of the chorus where he says, "I fell in love with the girl at the rock show," and uh, every time I hear that song, I completely fall. I, I, I'm telling you, I was on the uh, I, and we have a stationary bike in um, in our bedroom because we like things that don't go anywhere, um, you know. <laughs> How do you like this bike? It doesn't go anywhere. And, uh, and so anyway, I'm on the stationary bike, and I'm listening, usually listening to something loud, and, and I'm listening to rock show, and I, and I hear that, and I just start tearing up. And Carrie walks in, and, and I'm kind of on the bike because, you know, I want to live. And, uh, and so she's like, uh, are you okay? I'm good, you know, and, and, uh, because I, I, I'm telling you, I hear that song, and I start falling apart. And, uh, and there's also songs that, that you know, there, there's songs that can kind of move you in different emotions. There's songs that just pump you up whenever you hear it. Like, I don't know, like, I hear, for the last 30 years, whenever I hear, I hear the song, Eye of the Tiger, by Survivor, like, I want to get into a fight. It's not, you know, because I heard that song, like, I saw that, I saw Rocky Three in the theater, I'm dating myself, but I saw Rocky Three in the theater, it's still my favorite Rocky movie, and I... <laughs> And I'm telling you, you know, whenever, you know, he, he, he gets the eye of the tiger back, he beats, by spoiler alert, he beats Clubber Lang uh, in, in the second fight. And so my wife and I, probably about a year ago, we're walking out of uh, the theater, a movie theater. We had gone see this movie. It was like kind of action stuff blowing up, you know, right up my alley. And uh, we're walking out and they're playing eye of the tiger in the, the lobby as we're, as we're walking out. And, and I'm, you know, and she, you know, and I'm like, you know, and I'm. You know, I mean, like I hear that song and I feel my muscles growing. I don't know how, but I do. And so, and then we get to the front and there's like these punks messing around. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to stand for this. Eye of the tiger. And so I'm walking over and Carrie stops me and she knows, like she knows what the song does. And she's like, listen, she grabs my arm. She's like, I know you like the song, but let me tell you what we don't need. What we don't need is a news report that says local pastor gets into a fight with three middle school kids. And I'm like, all right, fine. But for the record, those were big seventh graders. That's all I'm saying. And uh, so, but we all have these songs, right, that, that, that do something to us. They, they have, 
they have deep meaning for us. And, and that's what the Psalms are. The Psalms are songs that marked moments in the lives of people in the Bible who were walking with God. In, in fact, one of the, what I love about the Psalms is how honest they are. One of the things you'll find as we, as we read through this, um, you know, the, this series on, on the Psalms is what you're going to find is this is so amazing is that if somebody's upset, see, because you'd think like, well, I'm going to sing this song to God. I better just tell God everything's okay, you know, because he might get upset. So God, everything's cool, you know, but that's not what the psalmists do. They're just, they're honest. If things aren't going well, you know what they say? God, things aren't going well. If they're depressed, you know what they say? God, I'm depressed. If things are going well, they don't try to suppress that. They just, they just rejoice in, in that things are, are going well. The other thing that I love about the Psalms is that they kind of give us the backstory as to what happens. Because one of the things that you'll find as you read the Psalms, especially the Psalms of David, the ones that he wrote, is that the, the scriptures will tell us the story. Right, you know, First Samuel, Second Samuel, First uh, Chronicles, Second Chronicles will tell us the story of what happened. But then the Psalms will tell us what the character was feeling while this thing was taking place, and that's what I love about the Psalms, and that's why we're kicking off a series today uh, in the Psalms that's called Songs of the Kingdom, and we're going to look at you know these ten Psalms over the next ten weeks. And here's my hope for us: is that just like we memorized all those lyrics that just are stuck in our brain. They're never coming out. You may forget the names of your kids, but you're never going to forget the names. Uh, you'll never forget those songs. But listen, if, if we can memorize all, all of those words, here's what my hope is that we would actually take the words of the Psalms and hide them in our heart. And that these songs would actually become our songs. That these songs would actually remind us of God's goodness and grace. They'd remind us of God's faithfulness in our lives and of all that God wants to do, of all that God has taken us to up until this point and all that God wants to bring us to in the future. The other thing that I I want us to think about as we journey through the Psalms is for us to realize that our life is a song. The melody, the verses, the chorus are all speaking. And my hope is, is that when people come into contact with us, that they would experience the song that God is writing in us and through us. And that our walk with God would produce the kind of blessed life that others would look on and say, that's the kind of life that I want to live. In fact, that's what Psalm 1, that's the theme of Psalm 1, the first psalm that we're going to look at. It's a psalm about, the psalmist is writing how blessed he is, about how God has worked in his life. And he's looking around, he's realizing, hey, not everybody is blessed like this. But there are some things that have happened in my life that I realize the goodness and greatness and blessing and faithfulness of God in my life. And so he's rejoicing of this fact that he's able to walk with God. He's rejoicing in the fact that he's blessed by God. And the song, the cool thing is not just him that gets to sing it. But the song is an invitation for all of us, for any of us that would want to walk with God and, and then bask in the blessing of knowing God and experiencing him in our lives each and every day. So I'm going to invite you, if you would, to open with me to Psalm 1, which is where we're going to begin. And we're going to start in verse 1. Here's what we read. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the fir- I want to show you four things about a person who is blessed. But the first is this, if you're taking notes, that a blessed man chooses his friends carefully. He chooses his friends carefully. There's this natural progression that happens in the psalm in the first verse that he talks here and gives us the key to a blessed life. He says that this blessed person doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, doesn't stand in the path of sinners, doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful. And you'll see it, that it's like you're walking, you're standing, you're sitting, and now you're not moving. But there's something that happens, and I want you to notice this, that in, in a Jewish culture, each of these words, each of these actions was about more than simply walking, standing, or sitting. It was about influence and direction in your life. That these three phases, uh, these three phrases, I should say, were powerful words. They, they were emotionally charged words in Jewish culture. Now, let me um, unpack that a little bit if I can. When he says, blesses the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. What is he talking about when he talks about walking? He's talking about, he spe- it speaks of your agreements. It speaks of your agreements. And that is because you walked with people who were headed in the same direction as you. The Bible would say in the book of Amos, chapter 3, verse 3, can two walk together unless they're agreed? 
Right? It, 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 obviously, no. If you're going east and I'm going west, you know what's going to happen? It's not going to be that long before we part company because we're not agreed on the direction. So he's talking about the agreements that we make. The second thing he says is that those who stand in the path of sinners. You see, standing speaks of your association. It speaks of association. It's where, listen, when you stand up for something, when you stand for someone, you are openly and publicly associating and approving uh, of that person. The Bible would say it this way. Do you see a man who excels in his work? Proverbs 22. He will stand before kings. He will not stand before unknown men. It speaks of association, who you associate with. And then he says, don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Don't stand in the path of sinners. Don't sit in the seat of the scornful. What's he talking about? He's sitting speaks of your admiration. Speaks of your admiration. Here's what I mean. To understand this, I need to take you back to uh, lunch at high school. All right? Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. Who did you sit with in, in, during lunch in high school? Now, here's what I know about you, because same thing happened with me. Who you sat with at lunch in high school determined your social standing in, in school. So I played football early in, in high school, and so I knew the guys on the football team, but I didn't sit with the guys on the football team, right? And, and even though that probably would have helped my standing some, I didn't really particularly like those guys all that much. I'd like playing football more than I liked them, uh, but I didn't sit with them. And so what I did was, instead, I sat with all the musicians, I sat with the musicians because I was a musician and I wanted to be a musician. My goal in life from the time I was 13 years old is to be a rock star by the time I was 20. And so, but so sitting there was a picture of who I admired and who I wanted to be like and who I wanted to become. The Proverbs 31 is a passage that talks about this ideal woman, right? This wise woman and all that she does. And there's this one passage that talks about her husband. And here's what it says. I put it in your notes. Her husband is known at the gates. And listen to what it says. When he sits among the elders of the land. He sits among the elders of the land because he is one of them. He's one of the leaders in, in, in the community. Now, the question is this. The question is, who are you walking with? Who are you standing with? Who are you sitting with? You see, when, and I want you to think about that. The people that I'm agreeing with, the people that I'm associating with, the people that... Um, that, I'm, that I admire. I mean, are these the people that I want to be like? Are these the people that you would call when you're in trouble? I have this, I have this test that I use when I'm kind of thinking about someone. And, I, oh, you know, because there's like, the thing is in South Florida, I grew up in, in New England. And so in New England, it's like, you know somebody for 10 years and they're like, oh, that's the guy that just moved in because there's so much history. In South Florida, you meet someone like for six months. You're like, that's my best friend. Uh, and it's, it's very different. People become very fast friends here. And so, uh, in, in, so I, but I always have this thing where I think about a person and, and whether they're like an acquaintance or do I consider them a friend or consider them a really good friend or something like that. And I, now this is not in the Bible. It's just something I thought, but I think it helps the conversation. Uh, I call it the Mexican jail scenario. Uh, now I know that doesn't really mean anything, but it, it'll mean something when I explain to you what it means. Uh, but here's how, here's how the Mexican jail scenario works. I want you to imagine that you have been wrongfully imprisoned in a Mexican jail. And then you pick up the phone. They give you your one phone call. It's 2 o'clock in the morning, and you call someone. And then what happens? Now, there's some people that you call and say, hey, hey, it's, uh, it's Bob. And they're like, hey, hey, do, do you know it's 2 in the morning? Yeah, listen, but uh, I'm, I, I, I got some trouble here. What, what, what's going on? Um, I've been wrongfully imprisoned, and I'm in jail here. I'm in a Mexican jail. Oh, man, I'm so sorry to hear that. Um, you know, I'm going to go ahead and when I wake up, I'm going to pray for you because I'm really try trying to get a tight 12 hours here before I, before I, I get up. So, well, I'll, you know, I'll talk to you later. See that, you know, like you don't want that to happen, right? Probably not a friend. Uh, then there's this other, this other person that you call in the middle of the night and tell them that you're in a Mexican jail and you know what they say? A real friend hears what they say. I'm on my way. That's no, no, no questions. how this happened? What dumb thing did you do? Was I the tiger playing in that restaurant? You know what I mean? It was none of that. It was just, uh, it's, I'm on my way. That's a friend. You see, because there's moments when people walk out and then, you, you know, when, when things aren't going so well and you find out really who's going to stand with you, who's going to walk with you, who's going to sit with you. And that, that's when you know. A few weeks ago, 
Everybody in my house got sick. I mean, everybody got sick. In fact, the reason that I didn't, I was supposed to preach on Father's Day. I wasn't able to because I spent the whole day throwing up. So, you know, not a good trade, if you ask me. I'd much rather be here with you. Uh, But anyway, so I wasn't uh, able to do that. But anyways, but it all started the week before. My wife got sick that Friday before, uh, or about 10 days before that. And then Mia got sick around Monday, and then she was throwing up. And then about Wednesday night, Xander got it. And so... Uh, he got sick, so we laid him on the, on the couch in our, in our family room. And then about 1 a.m., uh, you know, we put the bucket next to him. Now, l- let's be honest. I have three kids. None of them have ever hit the bucket, you know, like when they're going to throw up. I think we do it because we think it's good parenting because we're like, I don't know what happened. I put the bucket there. You know what I mean? And it's like no kid, you know, it's like anyway, but that's another mess, another thing. But um, so 1 a.m., he wakes up. He throws up all over himself. So I was there because I, I, um, I was with him, and so I was sleeping on another side of the couch. And so we, um, so we cleaned him up. We got a cloth, cleaned him up, and then we put new pajamas on him. And, and then 2.30 uh, in the morning, he wakes up again, and he starts throwing up um, all over himself. We change his pajamas. We get a washcloth, and we kind of clean him up as best we can and, and all that. And then you can, he, he's turning, um, not this, not tomorrow, but next Monday he's turning four. And, uh, and, and Xander is little, he's such a good boy, but he says, um, in this like little, almost four year old voice, you know, who's been throwing up all night, you know, after I clean him up and I lay him back down, I'm like, it's buddy, it's going to be okay. And, and this little voice, he goes, thanks dad, you know, so cute. And then, uh, and then he asks the question and he says to me, he says, um, dad, um, will you stay with me? And, uh, and I say, um, I'm sorry, buddy, you're covered in vomit. I, I can't, no, I didn't say that. Um, <laughs> And I said, and I said, Xander, listen, um, no matter what time you wake up or no matter how sick you get, I'm going to be right here next to you. And it's like one of these, um, you know, it, it's, it, you know, he, he, I tell him that and you have, I don't know how many of these moments you get, you know, but, but he takes his, his little hand and he, he does this every once in a while, you know, but he takes his little hand and he puts it on my face when I say that to him. Hey, no matter what happens, I'm going to be here with you. And he puts, and he puts his hand on my cheek and he says, I love you, Dad. You're my best friend. And uh, that was, it was amazing. It was amazing. Uh, and, but I, I tell you that because when you, you, you know, the, the people that you choose to associate with, um, the associations that you make, the, per, the reason why he says, blessed is the man who doesn't walk with these people, doesn't stand with these people, doesn't sit with these people, is because the psalmist knows that we need to choose our associations carefully. Because he knows that the friends that we choose will ultimately determine the quality and direction of our lives. And that, ma- that matters if you're a teenager or it matters if you're a senior citizen. It doesn't matter. The friends that we make, the people we associate with, will determine the quality and direction of our lives. The Bible would say it this way. Uh, it says that a, fr- a man who has friends must himself be friendly, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. So that's why the psalmist, here's what he would tell us. Here's what he would tell us in the rest of the psalm. He's going to tell us, draw close to God, walk with Jesus, and you're going to see how your life is blessed. And that's what the psalmist talks about next. Look what he says. Blessed, we'll start from verse 1 again. Blessed is the man who not, walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Here's the second thing I want to show you about a person who's blessed. The blessed man, number two, meditates on God's word. Meditates on God's word. And we talked about this in our series in First Peter that we called Becoming. But just for those of you who weren't here or don't remember, uh, meditation is not getting in the lotus position and chanting and contemplating the universe. Meditation, according to the Bible, simply means giving serious thought to a subject. It's, it's really thinking something over. And the Bible tells us to meditate on God's word. To think about the words of God. Now, you say, well, how do you do that? Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever worried before? Okay, yeah, the 40% of you. The other 60% are in denial. Um, then you'd be worried, like, wow, did I really lie in church? Man, I'm worried about that. All right. Um, now, here's the, thing about, here's the thing about that. If you know how to worry, then you already know how to meditate. Because you know what you do when you worry? It's all you think about. 
In fact, even when you're not thinking about it, somebody says something and it makes you think about the thing you're worrying about. You see someone and it reminds you of somebody else, which reminds you of the thing you're worrying about. So everything always comes back to the thing that you're worried about. And you just kind of, and what do you do when you worry? You're playing out a million scenarios over and over in your head. And all of them, of course, end badly, uh, or you wouldn't be worried about it. But that's what, in the positive way, is essentially what God wants us to do. It's just play it over and over in our minds. So that's how the Bible describes meditating. It talks about a cow chewing the cud, right? We've talked about this in the past. Uh, A cow doesn't just eat grass. A cow gets some grass, it chews it, and then it swallows it. The gastric juices start working it over. Then it regurges it up, and then it chews it again because now it has renewed flavor. And then it squeezes out every ounce of nutrient before finally digesting it. And that's the thing that God wants us to do. He wants us to to just read it, chew on it, think about it. Now, let me tell you why some of us uh, just don't do it. Why we just don't read the scriptures. Why we don't delight in the words of God. Don't delight in the law of God. And I know we give the reasons. Well, you know, I I don't understand the Bible. Well, you know, I don't have a lot of time uh, to read the Bible. But let me tell you why the real... Those are all things that we say. But let me tell you the real reason why we don't uh, don't read the Bible. Um, is because we don't think that God actually wrote it for us. We think that it's for some other people for some other time. Not to say we don't think it's good, not to say we don't think that there's truth there, not to think we don't say that it was from God, but we just don't think it's for us. And that's why the lack of time becomes an issue is because it really, we don't think it's for us. But um, here's the reality of the matter. The reality of the matter is that the Bible is for us. The reality of the matter is, is that if you want God to speak to you, the primary place he's going to speak to you is here. And a lot of times we're wondering and saying, boy, I just wish God would show me exactly what to do. Listen, it's here. This is, this is the place where, we, where we've got to go. And a, and a lot of times we miss out on it because we just think, oh, well, I just don't have a lot of time. Let me tell you, when Carrie was away at college, uh, when we were first dating, uh, she, she went to college in Tallahassee and I was still here. Uh, I was in college here. And uh, we didn't have cell phones. It was only actually to, in my last year of college that... I knew one friend who had a cell phone. He paid $100 a month, and he got 60 minutes of phone time, okay? So just kind of to give you an idea as to what people were, were doing. And by the way, that, the, it didn't have like, uh, you know, it wasn't like, oh, but what apps did the phone have? It had 10 numbers. That's all it had, okay? And then it had, you know, answer or that's it. I don't even know if it had voicemail, all right? So uh, we, didn't have, we didn't have texting. Um, I only knew like four people who had an email account. Uh, at the time. So, I mean, we're talking like, you know, 1995 around there. This is when we were in college. And so, um, you know, so I remember I knew, I knew a few people that had email and I told them that will never catch on. And uh, as you can tell, I was right. And uh, so now here's the thing. So instead, because we didn't have cell phones and we didn't have texting and neither of us had an email account. Instead, we talked on the phone our landline, I'm, I'm like one of the eight people left that still has a landline, uh, but we would talk on the phone twice a week. We would talk Wednesday night and Sunday night. And it was, and we had one of those, uh, if you're older, you remember this, remember those codes you used to have to dial and you'd get like, hey, it's going to be like 10 cents a minute or whatever. And so we would dial those. I know this is like totally foreign to some of you. And I realize that those of you that were born after 1990. Um, but um, anyway, so we would, so that's what we would do. We would talk for an hour on Wednesday night. We'd talk for an hour on Sunday night uh, because it would be, you know, 10 cents. It would cost us like six bucks uh, on each night to, to talk. But on the days that we didn't talk, uh, we would write letters to each other. Some of you are like, letters? What are those? Now, this is very sophisticated, but you take a blank sheet of paper and a pen and you actually start writing what you're thinking. And you're like, that sounds impossible. I know. Uh, but that's what we would do. And in fact, in fact, I, in my in my office at home, I actually still have a box with all the letters that Carrie wrote me while she was in college, because uh, I'm I, I'm a nerd like that. Um, but I would read those letters, and I would reread those letters, and I would actually take some of those letters with me. Uh, it, like if I had just gotten one a day or two before, I would read it three or four times. Uh, and, and I remember I, I would take it, especially like when I was in school and some professor was droning on and on about something and I probably should have paid attention because it was about the Bible but uh, I'd be like dude is this guy ever going to end and then much like some of you are thinking now and uh, and so but I remember I, I would just while he was going on and on I would break out one of Carrie's letters and I would just start rereading it 
And I just read a sentence over and over. I'm like, wow, I wonder what that word originally means in the Greek and Hebrew. I wonder what that's all about. You know what I mean? And, uh, but that's the thing because, you know, I knew that those letters were for me, from someone who loved me and from someone that I loved. But when you come to the realization that the Bible is written for you, that it's actually God's letter to you, that it's the way that God wants to actually lead, guide, and direct your life. That listen, the Bible is not just, well, God wrote it for humanity. It's not just that. It's that God wrote it for you specifically. When you're praying about something and then you open up the Bible and God gives you the answer right there and you're like, oh, you know, you have one of those moments. Then you realize, hey, this isn't just like a generic letter for anybody. This is just for me. It's really written for me. And listen, you have several of those happen over and over and over again. You know what you're going to learn is that, listen, this book may have been written a long time ago, but the relevance to this book is right now. And it is definitely relevant to your current situation and what you're going through because God does want to lead and direct and guide your life. But we've got to open up his word to us. We've got to open up his letter to us and allow him to speak to us. And you know what will happen? We're going to find exactly what the psalmist found is that he was blessed because he delighted in the words of God. It's because he's filling his heart with God's word so he knows what God wants him to do. They understand God's heart. And you know what? Then they start understanding who God is. And and they understand God's character and nature. So even when something bad happens, it's like, well, listen, it's not, it's nothing weird. It's not, oh, God hates me or anything. No, no, no. I know too much about God to believe that. Instead, I know that God is simply doing a work in me. And that's what's happening here. That's why this guy is blessed. Because his delight is in the law of God. And he's meditating on it, chewing on it, thinking about it day and night. And look at what it says in verse 3. He goes on. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Let me tell you the third point here. I want to tell you what a blessed man does. That a blessed man blooms where he's planted. He blooms where he's planted. There's too many people. And listen, I pray that that's none of us here, but there's too many people that are simply waiting for something to happen in their lives before they start pursuing the dream or taking a step of faith. And listen, just don't be the person that's always complaining about why the conditions aren't quite right, about why things never seem to work out. See, a lot of times we get frustrated because we're like, God, I want you to change my circumstance completely so that then I can do the thing that I really want to do. Listen, we have to understand something, and that is that God is way more interested in changing me, way more interested in changing you than he is in changing our circumstance. And maybe the circumstance is the very thing that God is using to change you and change me. And that could be why some of us are frustrated. But I love what the, what the psalmist says in verse 3, and I think it's an important thing to note. I want to drill down a little bit on this part where he says this, that uh, this person who's blessed, this person who's delighting in the law of God, that he will be planted like a tree, planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season. I want you to notice it doesn't say that you're going to bring forth fruit all the time, every time. It doesn't say that. It says you're going to bring forth fruit in your season because there are seasons to life. A blessed man or blessed woman understands this reality that there are seasons that are fruit-bearing seasons and there are other seasons that are root-deepening seasons. Now, let me ask a question if I can. I think this will help. Um, how many of you grew up in a climate where there was snow and seasons and all of that? Okay, seven people. All right, good. Uh, the rest of you apparently got here from Cuba recently. Um, that's all right. That's okay. That's all right. My family got there too. Uh, so, and, uh, but here's what, here's what will happen. Especially because if you grew up in like a, 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 you know, Caribbean, you know, tropical climate, or you grew up in Florida, once again, still a tropical climate, uh, you don't really have any understanding of seasons. Like I grew up in Boston where, I mean, we have hard, cold winters. And then we have beautiful springs and it gets really hot over the summer. And like, the, you know, there's nothing in the world like Boston in the fall. But it's, see, everything in life in Boston, when you're around it all the time, there's just an understanding that life runs in seasons and cycles. We have 
you know, variations of one season here in Florida, right? It's either hot or it's smoking hot or it's the surface of the sun, right? And that's pretty much what we have. We have variations of that. And so, and so that, that's why uh, people go, they, they, like, I, I'll talk to people, like, they, they'll go to Boston, they know I'm from Boston, and they'll be like, Boston is so beautiful, I can't believe you ever moved. Like, you ever been to Boston, like, six months out of the year? Like, not over the summer when it's real nice, you know, and, like, the Red Sox are playing, but uh, when, when other stuff, you know, like, you ever been there in January? You ever watch a Patriots game in January where it's, like, eight feet of snow and you can't even see the players? Imagine living in that and then having to shovel all that so you can go to work. Trust me. Uh, you'll do that for like, I don't know, four hours, and then you'll get back on a plane to Miami uh, because it's like, you know, sunshine, 350 days a year. Uh, and so, but what, what happens is, is that we live in a climate where there really is no change in seasons. And so we start thinking that everything is happening now. Everything should be happening now because there are no seasons. But you know what happens sometimes is that though if you didn't grow up in a season, you think, so is it, is it like, it's like three months of winter, three months of spring, three months of summer, uh, and, and three months of fall. Well, that's how it works on the calendar. But everybody knows that's not reality, right? If you, if you grew up in a cold climate, let me tell you what it is. Uh, eventually, like it gets cold long before December 21st when winter starts. Oh, no. Like before Thanksgiving, you're already freezing. You know, listen, on Labor Day, you're freezing, okay, in Boston, all right? So you're wearing jackets and hoods, and, you know, you look like you're going to rob a bank because you've got the thing that covers your whole face, the ski mask and all that. And, and then what will happen is, is that the, then it's like it'll be spring, and then winter is still infringing a little bit on your spring. It's like, then what do you do? Well, then spring becomes a little shorter, and then summer's a little bit shorter, and then fall becomes a little longer sometimes. And then sometimes it's, it's a really mild uh, winter, and then spring is a little bit longer. And then summer's a little bit longer, and then fall is just about right. And, and, but what happens is this, is that when you see the seasons changing, you realize that everything in life works cyclically. You see, a tree doesn't bear fruit all the time. I, I was explaining this to my daughter, Mia. Uh, she's six, and we were in Whole Foods the other day. And uh, by the way, if you don't know what, like, I have all this extra money. What should I do? Go to Whole Foods. Um, it, it, it'll be gone, you know. It's, you know, because like, it, it, seriously, these people have taken Disney World and said, how can we charge Disney World prices for bananas? And they've done it. They have done it. They're like, I don't know. Should I get it? I mean, the ones at Publix are 99 cents. This one's $75. Like, it must be better, you know, and you throw it in. And uh, so anyway, we're at, we're, at, um, we're at Whole Foods the other day, and, and we're talking, and we're, and we're getting some fruit. And my wife is saying, oh, where, I forgot what she was asking about, like strawberries or something. She's like, oh, where is it from? And, uh, you know, it ended up being like from Peru or something. And I was telling, explaining to me, I'm like, you know, there was a time when you couldn't just get strawberries whenever you wanted. Uh, and she's like, really? Why is that? Don't they, then they have them in the supermarket? And I'm like, well, because there's a season, right? Strawberries don't grow all year in, in our area. They grow all year somewhere else. But, and now we just ship them anywhere we want because everybody wants strawberries all the time. But there was a time when you got strawberries once a year. And when strawberry season came, you know, you ate strawberries like you were going to the electric chair, you know, like strawberry, you know, and you were going crazy. You were putting strawberries in everything because it's season. And if you still don't understand, I equate it to the peach milkshake at Chick-fil-A. Okay. You know how they're like, why don't they make the peach milkshake all the time? Because it's not peach season. It's peach season now, but soon it won't be peach season. And then they will take it away. And then you will cry. But I love the peach shake. Life doesn't make sense without the peach shake. Stupid chocolate, you know, and right. You're just, you're going crazy, right? Because, but see, it's when it's season, it has a season. You know, it's like the McRib. That's actually not like the McRib. Uh, It's, I can't talk about the McRib or I get in trouble. Uh, I got to move on. Uh, but the thing is, the point is this, is that sometimes in life, we want everything to be summertime. Oh, it's nice. And, you know, and, and it's, it's, there's fruit and it's sunny and everybody's happy and, and there's no clouds and all right. And, and this is what thing we think, but, and then it becomes winter. And you know, the thing about winter is that there, there is a time, like when I grew up, growing up in Boston, there would go, you would go like two weeks without seeing the sun because it would just be gray all the time. 
And, and then you think, well, what's it look like? Well, it's, it's, it's you know, gray. Well, when is that going to change? I don't know, April or something? Uh, you know, but, it, you know, you got... You got like, you know, several more weeks of this before before things actually begin to change. And so sometimes and so you're just kind of waiting for the blooming of spring. But here's the thing that you don't realize, because you look at a tree that once had a lot of fruit and now it's totally bare. It doesn't have any fruit, doesn't have any leaves. It's just branches. And that's it. And you look at it, and you'd say this thing looks like it's dying, but it's not. You know, in fact, that tree is probably more alive in the winter than it is at any other time because it's doing more work than it's doing at any other time. A typical tree in the winter when on the outside it looks dead is actually underground digging more roots. It's digging deeper roots. It's increasing that root system so that when the next winter comes, it still has nutrients that are going to be able to maintain that tree through the course of that, that, uh, that cold season. And the point is this is that you could be in a winter season right now. You could be a winter season right now. Listen, use the time to dig roots and grow deeper. That's why he says that, listen, he's bringing forth fruit in his season. The blessed person understands that. That's why they're not complaining. Well, why is it working out? Okay, maybe this is a different season for me. Maybe God needs to do, maybe God's doing something in my life that I didn't realize. Maybe you're single and you say, man, but I really want to be married. And why hasn't God brought that person? And, and so what, what, uh, this, how can this happen? Well, maybe this is a season of winter. And it's a season for you to now dig some roots. So that now when Mr. or Mrs. Wright comes along, you're Mr. or Mrs. Wright. And, you're gonna, and it's going to be perfect timing. And listen, it may seem like winter, but it's a season where God is deepening your roots. And that's why whatever the blessed man does prospers, according to the end of verse 3. Because everything in our lives, God is using to transform us from who we are to who he ultimately wants us to be. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. And I think it's important is that because there is a time. Well, let me say it this way. If you're unhappy at, at your job, right? You say, I hate my boss. I hate my work. The owner is demon possessed, you know, whatever. Um, and so you say that. But here, here's the thing. Think about this. There was a time when you actually applied for that job. There's a time when you interviewed for that job. There was a time that you asked your friends to pray for you so that you could get that job. And now you're, you, when, there was a day that you were like, I can't believe it. God is so good. Let's have fun. It's awesome. I'm starting on Monday. And now you're like, I can't believe I work here. I can't believe God hates me. What did I do? I repent of everything, God. Please take me away. When is the rapture coming? This has got to go. You know, uh, you know, and this is, what, this is what you're thinking. What happened? What happened? Well, here's what happened. We became ungrateful for what we had. We became ungrateful and we started thinking, well, see, things would be a lot better if I was somewhere else. See, I could bloom somewhere else, but instead I'm planted here. But here's what the blessed person understands, that he's, he can bloom wherever it is that God plants him. Jesus would say it this way, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. Now I can give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Listen, too many people, here's what we want. We want the great testimony of all that God has done and how God prospers everything that we do, but we don't want the tests that come along with it, the things that actually prepare us. You know, we're like, God, show me the money. You know, this is what we want. But you know, it's like, I want a testimony, testimony, but you don't get a testimony without the test. If not, it would just be called a money. But it's a testimony. So you got to have the test before you get the money. You may want to write that down. And, uh, and that's the thing because God uses testing. God uses obscurity to prepare us to be the person that can be blessed. See, here's what he would say in Zechariah chapter 4. Who has despised the day of small things? Don't despise the days of preparation. Don't despise the winter season of your life. Take that opportunity to really dig some roots so that you can bear fruit in your season and so that everything you do can prosper according to what we read. The psalmist is going to shift gears right here because he's been talking about what the blessed person does. Look at what the person who is not blessed does. Here's what he says in verse 4. He says, The ungodly are not so, but they are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. 
And here's the last thing I want to show you uh, in this psalm, and that is this, that the blessed man lives like he has value. Here's what I mean by that. The psalmist starts talking about, sh- about chaff. Most of us don't know what chaff is because we're not farmers, okay? When a farmer had, it was, it was wheat harvest, let's say, he would, take, he would go to an area like this. It was called a threshing floor. A threshing floor was kind of a sloped um, Kind of a flat surface, open area, but it was sloped. And so he would take all of his wheat, he would put it on the the top part of this threshing floor, and he would take what was called a winnowing fork, which is basically just like this giant fork. He would take it, start throwing the wheat up in the air. That's all he would do. And he would do this for a whole bunch of time. And as he was doing this, as he was putting the fork in the wheat and then throwing it up in the air, there was a shell around the wheat. And the shell would start to break off on all the pieces of wheat. And as he was throwing it up in the air, a wind would come and then it would take just the shell of the wheat and it would move it all the way to the other side. And so after, you know, maybe an hour or two or three, he would end up with two piles. He would have a pile of wheat that is ready to use and he would have a pile of the chaff, which was just a bunch of these shells that was really had absolutely no use whatsoever. And that's how the psalmist describes the ungodly person, the person that isn't blessed, the person who's not walking with God. That this person is like the chaff. They don't bless, they don't nourish. In fact, the wind comes and just blows them away because they're not rooted, they're not grounded. There's nothing that's really doing, there's nothing happening in their lives. They're just a shell. And you know, some people actually believe that about themselves. They believe that, well, God doesn't want to bless me. And then they don't realize, well, why am I not blessed? Well, God wouldn't want to bless me. And so they end up making really poor choices and put themselves in a position where God can't bless them. Now, let me ask you this. I've asked you several questions today, but how many of you have kids? If I can ask that, look, a lot of us. Wow, that's that's great. Um, I can tell you this. If you're a parent, you know this to be true, right? That you, as a parent, you love to bless your kids. You love to bless your kids. You go out of your way to bless your kids. Listen, I live to bless those three kids. It's, the great, it's one of the greatest joys of my life. My kids have chores that they're supposed to do. If you go into our pantry, there's this little uh, magnet board. and It's a, like a dry erase board. And then it has, you'll, either see, you'll have all of these chores and you'll see either an M or an X for if Mia's done it or Xander's done it or they've both done it. And with each chore, they can earn a quarter. That's, that's the rule in our house. They can earn a quarter. And so uh, then we mark that off. And then on Friday, they, we add up all the quarters. And they, that's how much they have to spend at Target to get a toy because that's my kid's favorite day of the week is Friday because they get to go to Target. And uh, we're hoping to kind of change that trajectory to make those little higher goals. But we're, that's where they are right now. So, but anyway, they also, we also have bonus, bonus points, uh, which are stars. And so you can get a star if we catch you doing something right that was unprovoked. So... You know, uh, Xander gets upset because he's playing uh, this learning game on the computer and he gets upset and Mia comes over and helps him on how to, and teaches him how to do it. And we see that, hey, you just earned a star right there. Uh, something happens with Olivia and then Xander comes over and helps her. Xander, you just earned yourself a star. Man, these kids, they go nuts over the stars and they just want, you know, and they'll tell us like, hey, you know, I'm doing a lot of good stuff today. You know, they'll tell us that. They'll tell us. And like, you know what? You didn't see it, but yes, it was pretty awesome what I did over there. Anyway, but they'll, they'll do that. Uh, but So what will happen is this. But there are some weeks where the behavior isn't really where we wanted them to be, and they're not doing as much as we had hoped that they would do. And so we'll go to Target, and it's like, well, oh, hey, what, what kind of toy can I buy? I don't know, but it's got to be under 3 bucks. I'm like, oh, yeah? Dad, what can you buy for 3 bucks? Not, not, not any good. I'll tell you that much. You can buy, like, a pack of gum. And a bottle of water. That's about it. And, uh, you know, and that, but then there's some weeks where they both have like eight bucks to spend. And it's like, yeah. And then they're like looking at all kinds of stuff, you know. And, and, and it was like, you know, they're trying to explain to them like how far $8 can go. That's another story. Like, can I buy that? That's $500. Let's bring that back, you know. Uh, and so anyway, but I'm telling you, when they have like two bucks to spend, you know who the most bummed out person in the store is? Me. Because um, I'm like, yeah, two bucks. I mean, what are we going to do for two bucks? All I can bless them is two bucks, you know? And, and why? Because it is my joy to bless them. Here's what the Bible says. It says, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your, heaven, your father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him?
You see, we think because we're good parents and we want to bless our kids. Can I tell you something? That in comparison to God, we're, we're nowhere near being good parents compared to how much God loves us and how much God wants to bless us. That God actually loves us so passionately. That his desire is to bless us and work in our lives, in your life, so that you can have the kind of life that you only dreamed of. And let me tell you what happens. That sometimes uh, life doesn't turn out the way that we hoped. And it's because we've been, listen, if we were honest, I was investing in chaff instead of being planted by the river. You know, there was relationships that we got into and then they fell apart because we just couldn't, you know, we didn't, we didn't figure out why it didn't work. And, and, and listen, it was because it was chaff. It didn't have any roots. And then we look on and we get frustrated. And it's like, you know, why is, why is things not panning out for me? You know, that, that dream I had, that venture that I took, that, that thing I wanted to do, that it didn't work out. Now, why is that? Well, maybe God doesn't want to bless me. No, no, no. God actually does want to bless you because he loves you passionately. Infinitely more than, a, than an earthly parent could love their kids is how much God loves you. And by the way, that doesn't mean just, well, you know, humanity in general. That means you specifically. But see, just like we do with our kids, it's just like God does with us. It's not that God's desire to bless us has changed. It's have we put ourselves in a position where God can bless us. You see, we've got to ask ourselves the question. I mean, I mean, are you planting yourself? Are you delighting in God? Because if you will delight yourself in God, God will delight himself in you and bless you like a dad blesses his kids. And see, you can decide today to be blessed. You know, you, you can decide today to plant yourself by the river of water that brings forth fruit in its season and everything that he does prospers. See, today can be the beginning of your season. Today can be the day that turns everything around. Today can be the day where you see God transform your life and where he changes you. And you look back and say, man, today was the, this was the day that I decided to uproot myself from where I was planted because it wasn't doing me any, any good. And instead I decided to come over here and plant myself by this river of water. And then I started bringing forth fruit in my season and everything started working out. Everything started being blessed. Why? Because I started delighting myself in God. I started walking with him and seeing what I didn't see, doing what I hadn't done. But then I started being blessed like I couldn't imagine. Let's pray together. And Lord, that's our hope and our prayer. Is that when we talk about God, where we walk and where we stand and where we sit, Lord, we want to be walking with you, standing with you, sitting by you. We want to be delighting in you. We want to know you. God, our hope is that everything that we do, that it would turn out well, that it would be blessed. But we know that doesn't just happen by us doing our own thing and just praying that everything would work out, but instead by doing the things that you would bless. So God, I ask that in these closing moments, that this would be a time of reflection, a time for us to really get serious about what it is that you have for us in this next step. God, if we've been planted somewhere else, then Lord, maybe today is the day we take the shovel out and we uproot ourselves from where we were and we plant ourselves by you. That we don't become like the chaff that's blown away, but instead like a tree that's bringing forth fruit at the right time. God, do a work in this, these closing moments. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, whether you realize it or not, God wants to work in your life. He wants to bless your life because he's a good dad. Now the question is, are you ready for that? Are you ready for that? Are you willing to move from where you are to be blessed? And here's the thing, too often, here's what we'll do if we're honest, we'll blame other people for why we're in our current situation. And we'll say, oh, you know, it's my mama's fault. Well, she was too strict. It's my dad's fault. He didn't pay enough attention. My ex-husband's a bum. That's why I'm in this mess. No, my boss puts too much pressure on me. That's why I can't change things. No, no, no. My kids are crazy. That's why I can't do the right thing. Can I tell you something? We got to put away all these excuses 
And we've got to stop giving other people all the power in our lives. We've got to stop letting other people dictate what happens to us. And we've got to get planted. We've got to decide today, where am I planted? And if I'm not planted by a river of water that's bringing forth fruit in its season where everything that God calls us to do prospers, then here's what we got to do. We got to take out the shovel. We got to uproot ourselves and plant ourselves by him. Because listen, today can be the day. You can decide today to give your life to Jesus. You can decide today to ask him to forgive you of all of your sins. And listen, you can walk with him and be directed by him. Today can be the day where you are directed, you are planted by this river of water and bring forth fruit in your season. But listen, there's nobody to blame. There's no other time to decide than today to say, you know what? I'm going to plant myself in God and in a relationship with him. I came to know Jesus at 19 years old. And I was as lost as a 19-year-old kid could be. And I wasn't looking for God. But I'm grateful that God was looking for me. And that was 20 years ago that I surrendered my life to him. And listen, God has taken me to places I could have never hoped for and could have never dreamed. And there are times that I I literally pinch myself because I just think, I must be dreaming to live the kind of life that I'm able to live and impact the people that I'm able to impact and see God do all these things in, in, in my life. And listen, I'm telling you this not because I believe that I'm special. I'm a kid that grew up in the hood, in the outskirts of Boston. And if he can do that for me, he can do that for anybody. But it takes a decision. It takes a decision to say, God, I've been planted somewhere else. And sometimes here's what we'll do. We'll pray. God, I'm planted over here. Can you just bless what's happening over here? He's like, yeah, see, I can't, I can't bless that. But if you'll plant yourself by this river of water that brings forth fruit in its season and whatever he does will prosper, I will bless that more than you could ask, think, or imagine. You see, this can be your moment to watch God work in your life more than you've ever dreamed. And listen, this is true if you're not a Christian. This is true if you've been a Christian for 30 years and you've been floating like the chaff. You're like, well, I know God, but I kind of just do whatever I want. Then listen, you're not living a blessed life. If you're not obeying God and walking with him, I mean, you got to question if you really even know him and say, you know what, God, maybe today is the day that I just stop fooling around. Maybe today's the day that I stop just planting myself wherever and think that you're going to bless that. And I got to start planting myself in you by this river that brings forth fruit in its season. That maybe this is the time. That listen, this can be the day. And it happens the day that you say, I don't want to live this way anymore. That I've been living like the chaff. I've been living like I've been planted somewhere else and nothing ever seems to work out and I don't want to live this way anymore. I came to that place at 19 years old and you can come to that place today where you say, I don't want to live this way anymore. I don't want to feel this way anymore. I don't want to act this way anymore. And God, I'm going to take a shovel to my own tree. And I'm going to pull that thing up by the roots. And I'm going to dig a hole right here next to you, right by this water, because I want to live a life that's blessed. Live a life that's worthy to be called a Christian, a follower of Jesus. So today I'm going to replant my life because I want to be blessed. I want to know you. I want to be forgiven. I want to walk with you. You can experience this. I'm going to invite everyone in the house to stand if you would. if you say, Pastor Bob, I I don't want to live that way anymore. I don't want to think that way anymore. I don't want to act that way anymore. I don't want to feel this way anymore. Then listen, here's what I'm going to invite you to do. I'm going to invite you, listen, to uproot yourself from where you are, to take a few steps here to the base of this platform right here and plant yourself here. And we're going to call on God and ask him to begin to do a work in your life at this moment, in this place, in this time. 
Because listen, like a loving father, he loves you so much. And he wants to bless you. He wants to transform your life. All those dreams that you have for your life, he wants to do even greater than you could ask, think, or imagine. But you've got to decide if you want to be in the place where he can bless you, where he can work in your life and transform you and move you and change you. It's your opportunity to say, God, I'm here. I want things to change. And so I'm going to plant myself next to you. This is your moment. This is your opportunity. I don't care if you've been a Christian for a year, 10 years, 20 years, or you're, you're, not even, you're not even sure you're a Christian yet, or you're positive you're not a Christian yet. This is your moment to say, God, I'm serious. I'm digging roots right now by you. Work in me. Change me. Transform me. I want to be different. I want my life to be different. This is the time. This is the moment. So I'm going to invite Mark to lead us right now. You come forward and we're going to meet here. We're going to pray together. And God is going to transform you from the inside out starting right now. Mark, lead us.